Welcome to the Meaning in Motherhood podcast. I'm your host, Adrian Permar, and today we're going to be reviewing the book, The Emotionally Absent Mother. We'll be going over some good mother messages from that book. Our parenting deep dive for the day will be birth, specifically my birth story and any resources that I have for you. Then we'll be doing some questions from the community about bonding with baby before birth. We'll be talking mothercraft, stuff I like, and much more on the Meaning in Motherhood podcast. Our book this week is The Emotionally Absent Mother by Jasmine Lee Corey. This book was really interesting and helpful for me before I became pregnant. It was one of the books that convinced me that I could, in fact, become a mother that I wanted to be. I had some hesitancy to become a mother just because of uh, difficulties growing up, and I was just worried that I would be doomed to repeat mistakes um, from my own family of origin. But through some therapy and other things that I've already talked about, The Emotionally Absent Mother was a great book to help me uh, see what it was that as a mother I really needed to do. It was very validating, not for mothers who are neglectful necessarily or like super abusive, but just kind of there's something missing there. And this book is a really nice kind of filling in the blank there for you if that's something that you've felt throughout your life. In this book, she offers 10 basic good mother messages. These messages are... I'm glad that you're here. I see you. You are special to me. I respect you. I love you. Your needs are important to me. You can turn to me for help. I am here for you. I'll make time for you. I'll keep you safe. You can rest in me. And I delight in you. Certainly as a new mother, I'm mostly feeling I delight in you. That's a big one. I even say all the time, I see you, which is something I picked up from my mother-in-law. She said that to our dogs all the time when they were asking for attention. It was like, I see you, but I'm in the middle of something right now and I will get to you. But of course, she talks about the idea of seeing them. And part of that is seeing your child as they truly are. If you're seeing them through your own projection or lens, it's not really going to work out that well. They're not going to feel seen. And then the other one that I'm finding almost a little bit of a twinge of hurt today is that idea of I'll make time for you because I'm working on a major project right now and it's taking up a lot of my mental energy and I'm trying to be present for my daughter when I'm with her and then trying to space it out so that I have some time alone. This aspect that I'm involved with right now is taking a lot of my mental energy where I just feel like magnetically drawn to this project and even when I leave it or I'm in the shower or going you know to bed I am always thinking about it and thinking of ways I can improve it which is a very exciting for me that I have a project my life for a little while has been trying to avoid watching tv and avoid doing negative behaviors but now I feel like positively drawn to this project uh, which is super exciting but also um, having time to balance for my daughter And making sure that she's getting the message that she is important and I will be there for her is important to me as well. There's lots of detail in this book about what exactly all these messages mean, but just overall seeing that list makes me feel like, okay, I can do that for my child. I can make her feel that, or I can let her feel that those are things that she is um, offered by me and hopefully not be too absent myself for my own daughter. The question from the community for this week came from one of my mom's uh, Facebook groups, and it's a question about bonding with baby. So this mom asks, I just found out I'm pregnant and we've been thinking about moving to a bigger house. 
I'm worried that the stress is going to affect my baby negatively. So I've read lots on baby mama bonding. There's an old book called The Secret Life of the Unborn Child. And that book is actually pretty technical. It talks a lot about research and bonding research. And a lot of that bonding research is done in the uh, postnatal period, so after the baby is born. But it talks a lot about the idea of bonding before birth as well. I actually had this situation exactly happen to me. I found out I was pregnant and we we had started trying, but we were sort of expecting, okay, well, you know, lots of people try for a year and I had been doing lots of things to boost my fertility and I probably will do a fertility podcast at some point, but this, uh, basically we got pregnant right away. So we were a little bit surprised by the timing and we were in a big life transition and decided to move back to where my husband was from originally to uh, allow there to be some family support there, which has worked out really well. Just nice to have uh, my mother-in-law around and other family around to make me feel supported and safe and giving me a little bit of freedom to, you know, work on these other projects, as I mentioned. I was feeling pretty anxious right from the moment I got pregnant that I was going to be a bad mother and that my baby would not bond with me. So I went to the Barnes and Noble and I picked out an adorable little journal. Maybe I will take a picture and Instagram it, but it is a sweet little book. It's turquoise with little llamas all over it, just little (laughs) silly images of llamas. And I thought it was super cute. And I bought that and that was my baby's, uh, letter journal. So basically I wrote her a letter that day saying that I found out I was pregnant with her. And then I wrote her letters and drew little cartoons of happiness and happy families and bonding and love. And I drew a picture of her in utero and I wrote all around it, all is well and you are loved. I tried to keep the messages kind of, um, you know, PG because I knew that I would be reading them to my daughter at some point and I want her to have that notebook and feel my thoughts that I had at that time. But because she was feeling all the stresses that I was having about, you know, letting go of my job, moving over across the country, selling my car, all these things. So every time there was a stress, I would write her a letter and I would say, you know, things are stressful out here, but we're so excited that you are here and we're so excited to meet you and we can't wait to meet you and all those messages. That's one thing that was suggested from the secret life of the unborn child was just 10 to 30 minutes of hands on the belly and projecting or even saying out loud, we're so glad that you're here. We're so excited to meet you. We want to meet you. We're so glad you're here. Just putting out those messages to the baby is so, so important. So that book, The Secret Life of the Unborn Child, was written by Thomas Verney. I just stopped to look that up for you guys. And he wrote another book called Pre-Parenting. There's a lot of uh, crossover of information in these two books, but I did read them both. And I believe it was in Pre-Parenting, Nurturing Your Child from Conception. Uh, they had a study in there that was talking about the effects of maternal stress on the baby. So basically, they found out that stresses that affect the mother's sense of security. So fights with the actual father of the baby or things like that, where the um, life of the fetus is actually sort of threatened, those had a greater effect on the baby. So if it's a stress like, you know, your mom dying, that's a stress, but it's not one that necessarily directly affects the baby's livelihood. So the babies are know that somehow, and they're smart enough to realize that, uh, 
the mom is not in danger and that they're not in danger. So there is some nuance there. And he, he just said that if you're under a stress, that it's better if it's like a short-term stress than a long-term stress, obviously. So if they experience, you know, one big stressor, that's fine. That's better than having uh, chronic stressors out throughout the entire pregnancy. So the journal was a great idea. I think that that really helped me to feel more confident. I'm not sure how it affected my baby, but it helped me to feel more confident that I'm communicating well with her when there are stresses, that it's okay and we still want her. That's another thing that came up from these books is the idea that wanting your child is a huge impact. So the babies were measured, and I cannot remember for the life of me uh, how they measured this, but somehow they measured whether or not the baby um, was doing well or developing well or had stressors after. I'll have to reread that book, but unfortunately right now it's in storage just because we are in that uh, living with my mother-in-law right now. But basically the idea is that if you want the child and you show that you want the child, that's obviously the best outcome for the baby. So the baby's going to feel the most wanted, the most loved if you want the child and you're expressing that you want the child. There's also a few other psychological components. So there's one where maybe you are expressing that you're excited about the child, but inwardly you don't really want the child or you're, you know, concerned about how it's going to change your life or you're losing your career or those kind of things. So if you have internal worries and externally are expressing positivity that does have a bigger impact on the child and there's also the option of uh, outwardly expressing that you don't want the child but inwardly wanting the child and that surprisingly was something also that seemed to have a more positive impact so the fact that you internally want that child and are sending loving thoughts to that child makes a huge difference so that's what i would say is just make sure you're sending those loving messages a half an hour a day makes a huge difference in terms of what the baby is feeling from you that if you're taking that time to settle down and calm down they are going to feel that and know that and know that they are wanted and loved also, the idea of just minimizing stresses that, of course, are going to affect the baby. So, you know, an argument with the spouse, if you do have an argument with the spouse, just taking that time to, again, sort of explain to that baby, I did it through writing, I think also speaking or internally sort of mind communicating with the baby. Those things are really positive. I did a thing where I would like hold my hand on the baby um, and one hand on my heart. When I would breathe in, I would imagine the baby sending me love because my stomach is going up. And when I would breathe out, I would imagine love going from my heart to the baby's heart. So I had this kind of like communication back and forth of hearts. And I know that sounds maybe a little bit sappy, but hey, when you're trying to communicate with your unborn baby, I think sappy is okay. Just as an aside, I'm not a big fan of anything where you're sort of like putting, um, headphones on the belly or anything like that. You don't want to disturb the baby. You don't know when they're sleeping necessarily. I would just avoid doing anything too invasive like that. I would also uh, not recommend the ultrasounds, like the at-home ultrasounds. You can check on the baby when you're not at the doctor, unless you have like really high anxiety and that's going to help to calm you down. I just am concerned about the overuse of ultrasounds on, on the fetus. One book I'm going to recommend to you as a resource is the Mama Natural Week by Week Guide to Pregnancy and Childbirth. That book is just really awesome. Um, it has a lot of information about natural options and it gives, you know, her personal opinion, what she did, and then some perspectives from the midwife and from a nurse and those kind of things. And you just get an idea of 
what your options are. So for example, my husband and I were trying to evaluate whether or not I should have the antibiotics during labor. And we read this segment in the Mama Natural book, and we did decide to do that even though I really, really, really didn't want to. We actually waited, and we, despite the fact that they weren't really thrilled about it, we asked them to redo the group B strep positive test just to make sure that I was still positive right before I went into labor, and I was still positive. And we did end up doing the antibiotics. So I found the Mama Natural book really helpful in helping me make those decisions and informed decisions. And as you can see, it wasn't always opting for the most natural option because of course you could choose to not do those antibiotics and take the risk. But we just decided the risk of death, which is basically what it is, it is a low percentage of people who have that, but um, it was still a risk that we were just really not willing to take at that time. In any case, the reason I brought up that book to begin with is that she does have a nice segment about ultrasounds and how there is some concern about ultrasound use being linked with infertility, especially in male infants. I'm not sure what it does to um, female reproductive health. I don't, I've never heard a study about that, but I do know that there's some link between more than four ultrasounds and decreased male fertility at puberty. So that's something to consider. I would try and limit my ultrasounds. I only had two during my pregnancy. And again, if it's something where you need to be monitored, I wouldn't worry about it too much. Again, it's a risk, but it's maybe not you know, life or death risks. So you just need to make those decisions. And as hard as it is, um, it's important to be able to make those decisions confidently and having all the information is super important. So definitely check out the Mama Natural week by week guide. Another great resource I would recommend is Ina May's Guide to Childbirth. This book is filled with uh, some really great stories about women having natural births. And again, this is a midwife's book and it's done um, mostly outside of the hospital or at a birth center. And so you get a lot of these really interesting stories. Her other book, Spiritual Midwifery, I would not necessarily recommend to everybody because it is like a textbook for midwives. So half of it is stories and the other half is just technical stuff about um, you know, things that midwives need to know that not necessarily every birthing person needs to know. So you would, can skip that one and just get Anime's Guide to Childbirth rather than the um, Spiritual Midwifery. That being said, I will give you one tip that I pulled from Spiritual Midwifery, and this is awesome. Uh, I had not heard this from any of my uh, midwives or anybody else, but the... Um, she just mentions in one of the sort of common complaints during pregnancy is that leg cramps are actually caused by a deficiency in calcium. So most of the time you hear that leg cramps are caused by lack of magnesium and the midwives will recommend you to double your magnesium. And I don't know why that's the recommendation. That sort of makes sense from my like training as a athlete or anything else. You know, you take magnesium to help with um, leg cramping. For whatever reason, during pregnancy, you get these crazy cramps in your calves or whatever. I don't know. I got them in my calves and they were really intense. And I just happened to be reading this book and came across the idea that uh, calcium is actually the reason that your legs are cramping. So I was taking some magnesium and I doubled my dose of calcium and the cramps went away and I never had them again, except for when I ran out of calcium and then I got more and then they went away again. So I can say from personal experience that they did work. Uh, so whatever your calcium supplement is, and it's recommended to take your calcium supplement 
separate from your um, other vitamins just because calcium does prevent the absorption of some vitamins. But in any case, I would take calcium usually right first thing in the morning and then magnesium right first thing before bed. Um, and I just doubled my dose of calcium and the leg cramps went away. So if you are having those, I would just recommend a little more calcium. And I don't know why this isn't taught in midwifery schools right now, but um, that's just a little tip from an old book. Another benefit of reading old books, um, I was reading uh, Childbirth Without Fear, which is this really intense, like detailed book written by a doctor a long time ago. And he talks a lot about sort of the technical aspect. He gives an overview of the muscles of the uterus and all this stuff. And his whole thing is that childbirth does not have to hurt at all if you just learn how to relax. Now, I was not the best at practicing relaxation. I tried my best to relax and just kind of take it easy. But at the same time, I didn't like sit there for hours at a time and practice relaxation. I'm just not that good at that without being in a group setting and we're kind of in a rural area and there were no hypnobirthing classes nearby and that's kind of the only class that I know of right now that teaches that kind of deep relaxation. But I also had listened to somebody on YouTube and now I can't remember who it was who was talking about how she did the whole hypnobirthy thing and then when she actually got in labor she realized she didn't need it and that's kind of how I felt it was like once the pain comes I'll be able to handle it but I don't want to like spend forever thinking about it ahead of time. Um, so I just kind of lived my life. In any case, there was a point from that book and we'll talk about that book a little bit later, but one of the things that came up from it is it just said, you know, that it's really normal for women to have incontinence during their first trimester. So, um, that's like peeing yourself, which happened to me all the time because I would be throwing up and peeing myself at the same time. It was a super not exciting time to be alive, <laughs> uh, but you know, I survived it. But yeah, basically every time I threw up, I would pee at the same time. So I just started wearing pads all the time. And I was really concerned about this and I wanted to go see a pelvic specialist right away. And my midwife just said, okay, well, we'll just wait until, you know, and see if it goes away after pregnancy. Uh, later, I had a different midwife, as I mentioned, I moved and she was like super concerned about any incontinence and wanted to go, uh, me to go see a physical therapist for it right away, which I haven't yet done just because of COVID-19 and all that jazz. But I wanted to mention that it did say in that old book that it's common for women to have incontinence during the first trimester that goes away by the second and third trimester. And that is what happened to me. And I wish that somebody had just said that to me, that it wasn't going to last the entire pregnancy, that it was just going to be for the first trimester. And that would have been great. Okay, now we are going to go into my birth story. So basically, I guess pregnancy has been our deep dive for the day. And I'm going to talk about my birth story. So as I'd mentioned, I had a pretty uneventful pregnancy other than that, you know, group B strep positive test. Everything else was going super well. I only had the 20 week ultrasound. I did end up having one more ultrasound just because she was almost two weeks overdue. And just because my husband's job situation changed a few times during that process, we actually changed and had three different midwives during the pregnancy. But I always knew I wanted to go to a midwife and I absolutely did not want to go to a hospital. I had done a doula training and a childbirth educator training, and both of them were supportive of different choices. But for me, I just didn't want to go to a hospital. I didn't want to have an epidural and lose the ability to feel my contractions. I didn't want to lose the ability to eat. I didn't want to lose the ability to move around. Basically, epidurals just did not appeal to me. I'd heard some kind of bad stories about them, like, you know, that you itch all over. And I think it's like half of women experiencing 
itching after having an epidural and that to me just sounded awful and then the idea of not moving around was pretty bad and then I had some people at my La Leche League meeting tell me stories about either epidurals only working on half of their body or not working at all or you know leaving a little window of pain basically it did not appeal to me to have the epidural at all And I mean, I don't love pain, but I just wanted to do a natural birth. As I mentioned earlier, my number one fear uh, having the baby was not anything about the birth, but was just about not bonding with the baby after. I was so worried that I was going to hit a huge postpartum depression. I have had issues with depression in the past, and I was so worried that I was just going to have this huge crash and then not be able to bond with baby. I was just so worried that I was going to have this huge crash and not be able to bond with baby. So that was my biggest fear was having, uh, not bonding with the baby. And I knew that having a natural unmedicated birth with the baby bonding with me right away would give me my best chance at having a good bond with that baby and not having postpartum depression. In addition to that, my mom had had a natural birth and she did not describe it as painful at all. Um, she's also a really tough lady, so I don't know. Um, but I will give you my story. So my baby was due on the 19th of December, 2019. And uh, that's right around Christmas. So we weren't super thrilled about that birthday, but you know, you, you get over it. And we just wanted a healthy, happy baby. And so on Christmas Eve, I started having contractions. And I had read a lot of childbirth books. And I just kept thinking, okay, this is it. Like you have contractions, you go into contractions, you just relax during that day. Then overnight, you know, you take a little rest and over, you know, usually in the middle of the night, maybe like 2 a.m., you start having really strong contractions and then you go to the birth center and you have your baby. And so we actually did a Christmas presents the night before because I was convinced that I was going to have the baby that day. And so we did Christmas presents and I was so excited and we went to bed and, you know, you sleep a little bit less that night and guess what? Christmas day came and no baby and the contractions were still coming, but they were, they were mild. And at this point she was actually, you know, almost a week overdue. So they were not concerned at all about me going into labor at that time. I had a doula and I had her on call, you know, I was like, Hey, you know, get ready because baby's coming. I have the contractions, you know, I was so excited and they were regular. They didn't hurt at all. Just a tightening in my um, belly. And so, you know, Christmas came and went and then the next day came and went and we went into the birth center on, that was a Tuesday. I started, um, Thursday, we went into the birth center to get checked And they said, your cervix is super soft. I'd been eating tons of dates and pineapple and all the craziness. And, uh, but it is not dilated at all. So, yep, you are having contractions. They said, um, between five to seven minutes apart, but that's it. No dilation. So go home. And we thought about staying in a hotel overnight. The birth center is about an hour from where we live. So we thought about staying in a hotel overnight, but actually my parents were coming in to meet the baby. So they were flying in for three days to spend some time with the baby. Of course, the baby was not there. So they got to spend some time with me while I was in early labor. And so we went out to dinner and we went out for hot wings and we did all this stuff, right? We went out for hot wings like three different times. And yeah, it seemed like it did increase their contractions, but not enough. 
I was sitting on a birth ball on Saturday evening and I was doing little circles and figure eights and stuff. And all of a sudden I got these contractions that were much stronger and more painful. So the baby must have like hit that spot. And I was so excited that the baby's head was right on the cervix and pressing down and yay, I'm going to have the baby tonight. And then I went to go lay down and rest and those contractions just basically stopped. There were still contractions, but not effective. So she was too high up. She wasn't hitting the right place. And I wish I had gone ahead and called the massage therapist that I've been working with to help reposition the baby. I also really wish my doula had been uh, able to come to our house and help us do some exercises and things. But because she was like, she was an hour from the birth center and I was now forever from the birth center, we had decided that we were just going to meet at the birth center. We were not going to come or she was not going to come to our house, which was, you know, just disappointing. Um, but that was the choice I made because I wanted to go to the birth center and not to a hospital, even midwives at a hospital. I just didn't want it. I didn't want the option. So I was really, um, steadfast on going to the birth center. So the doula, you know, we talk and, you know, um, she'd try and say, okay, we'll get your husband to, you know, shake your belly with a scarf or, you know, try this position, try that position. My husband was a little bit like timid about some of those things. Obviously you don't want to hurt the baby. You don't want to hurt me. And we just don't really know what to do. So anyway, we went in on Sunday and we were like, okay, we're going to stay in a hotel next to the birth center and we are going to have this baby today. And the contractions actually stopped. So we'd had like regular contractions, basically from Tuesday, they were about every five to seven minutes. So they were not that intense, not painful at all, just tight. And then on Sunday, they just stopped completely, 100%, no contractions. And, you know, we're just so disappointed. We had a totally relaxing day. We got room service. We watched movies. We were trying to make me super happy. And the big push that I wanted, you know, at this point, she was a week and four days overdue. I really wanted to avoid having an ultrasound. I had mentioned I had only had one ultrasound during the pregnancy and I didn't want to have another one, but they wanted me to have one uh, just to feel safe and confident that the baby was happy and healthy and it was okay for her to go this far past her due date. So we had an ultrasound scheduled for Monday morning. So at this point I've been in labor for six days and um, early labor, but basically I just hadn't gotten enough sleep any of those nights. You know, I was excited every night. I was having some contractions waking me up. I was anticipating, you know, having this baby and I really should have tried to relax a little bit more. So that Monday morning, we go in for the ultrasound. They say, yeah, your baby's great. She's going to be nine pounds, which is like a huge over-exaggeration, but whatever, she was fine. And so then we went to the birth center and we were like, okay, we're ready to have this baby. And there was some pressure on me that I felt because we did not want to go to the hospital. As I mentioned, I super didn't want to go to the hospital, but the birth center by law can only have you give birth there until 42 weeks. So if you're 40, 42 weeks, you can have the baby at the birth center. If you're 42 weeks and one day you have to go to the hospital. So I was planning on trying some natural induction techniques to try and make sure we had the baby at the birth center where I felt safe. So we went in to see the midwife and we were like, okay, we're ready to have this baby today. And she checked me and she says, yep, cervix is super soft, but you are not dilated at all, maybe one centimeter. And I was so disappointed and crushed that I've had contractions for all these days, but they just were not really effective contractions because the baby was not in the right place. Because it was Christmas time, I did sort of hesitate to reach out to the chiropractor and the massage therapist at the birth center. And I did get chiropractic right before I went in and had um, my 
full birth or active labor and birth. Um, and that was really great, but I think I would have reached out more if it hadn't been around Christmas time. So on Monday morning, I went in and they did a Foley bulb. So that's basically a little balloon that they put in and it's kind of like, it's kind of like a balloon in your cervix. Um, I don't know, that sounds a bit strange, but basically it, it replicates the baby's head on the cervix. So it helps it to open up. I really didn't want to do the Foley bulb because I have had an IUD put in uh, earlier in my life and an IUD hurt so much. And so I thought that the Foley bulb would hurt so much. But in reality, once my cervix was super duper soft and ready to have a baby, the Foley bulb went right in. It didn't actually hurt at all. So if you're worried about that, that did not hurt at all. But when I got back in the car, the contractions hurt. They were intense. I did feel kind of like a stabby pain in the front of my abdomen, lower abdomen, which is where they say you're supposed to feel them. So it wasn't back labor. It was right in the front where it's supposed to be. And, you know, that was a pretty intense car ride home. I was considering, you know, should we turn around and go back to the birth center? But um, we made it home and I just crawled into bed and, you know, we tried to rest the best we could. And they... The Foley bulb fell out around, you know, seven o'clock in the evening, which means that your cervix is dilated five centimeters. So that was great. We were like, cool. And I called the midwife and I was like, okay, should I come in? And she was like, well, you can also try and get a night's sleep and that's fine too. And, um, so we decided to, you know, stick it out one more night. I was worried that it was going to like go back somehow, which, I suppose it could if you felt really unsafe, um, your body might contract again, but as long as you're feeling safe, the body should continue to expand. So that night, maybe about like midnight or two in the morning, I woke up with some really strong contractions and then was able to doze back off and had that kind of off and on until about seven in the morning when I woke up to really strong contractions. And because I had done the doula training and the childbirth educator workshop, we'd heard that your actual centimeters dilated is not the way to tell whether you're going to have a baby soon or not because those things can change actually pretty quickly. But they said there's an emotional shift that you're going to have this emotional shift and your attitude is suddenly going to change. And so throughout the entire week, we've been like, was that an emotional shift? My husband and I were like trying to catch me having an emotional shift. I think I feel excited. I think I feel serious now. You know, it was like suddenly you'll feel serious. That was kind of what the books said was that you'd go from feeling normal to suddenly being very serious about your labor. For me, what happened was once I hit that, you know, um, active labor stage where I was having really strong contractions, I just cried. Like I cried. I made myself eggs. I cried all through breakfast. I took a shower and I cried all through the shower and I just cried and cried and cried. And it wasn't from pain. It was just like, I just felt weepy. I was just emotional and I don't know what the hormones were that was causing that, but that's what I felt. So we did get in the car and we decided to go back and, um, you know, but I was coping pretty well. I had a chiropractic treatment right before I went into the birth center. The uh, birth center in Atlanta is great and it has, uh, Basically, it has chiropractic and massage and all these great support systems, even acupuncture that we tried. Um, and all these things I do think supported my natural birth, but they weren't, you know, didn't send me right into labor just because baby wasn't ready, I guess. In any case, we got there and I guess I was coping pretty well. So during the contractions, I was moaning a little bit, but in between contractions, I was able to talk. I was able to walk and all that stuff. So when I showed up at the birth center and I was like, all right, I think I'm ready. And the midwife was like, well, you're coping pretty well. Maybe we should check you. 
And in my head, I was like, we don't need to check me. Like, I've heard that, you know, you can go through all of labor without getting um, physically checked and that it increases the risk of infection and all this stuff. So I wanted to avoid getting checked as much as possible. And I was like, why do you need to check? And she goes, well, I want to see if you are supposed to be here right now because maybe you need to go home for another day. And I was like, I just burst into tears. Like, I have to have this baby today. I don't know why. I was just like, I am sick of being in labor. I've been in labor now six days. I want to have this baby. I want to have it right now. And so she was like, okay. You know, she kind of sat with me and asked me why I was crying. And I just said, you know, it's just overwhelming, which wasn't true. I just wanted to say, let me in. Let me into the birth center. I want to have this darn baby. So... That's what I wanted to say, but I just said, you know, I'm a little overwhelmed, a little scared. Anyway, whatever. So she checked me and she goes, oh, yep, you're supposed to be here. And then she goes, would you like to hear how many centimeters you are? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, eight. And I was like, okay, eight. Cool. I'm here. Good. I'm going to have a baby. I was like so ready to have this baby. And then, you know, she could put me in the shower. She started filling up the birthing tub. And as soon as I went in the shower, I, you know, my husband came in with all our stuff and I said, go get the midwife. And I said, I feel like pushing. And she said, if you feel like pushing, go ahead and push. Cause I didn't want to push if I wasn't fully effaced. So I thought she might check me again. She was like, nope, you trust your body. You go for it if that's what you feel. And then we were able to get me in the bathtub right away. Um, my husband put on a really nice song by Jonesy and Alex called Happiness. So that's a really fun one to give birth to. It was just super relaxing, repetitive, nice. And we put it on loop and then uh, we were in the tub. I will say for the tub, the nice thing about the tub was that I could move positions really easily without having to worry. Basically, my husband could just like move me around as I needed to, or I could move around really, really easily. There were some aspects that were a bit gross. Um, of course, I am pooping in the tub. That's just natural and it happens and my husband had to be okay with that. The other thing that happened was I had not really decided whether my waters were broken or not and we didn't bother to check just because I was so far dilated. So my waters um, actually had not broken. And as I was pushing during one contraction, uh, my waters broke and it just like shot out. So whatever was in there, the meconium and all this goopy stuff comes shooting out. My husband thought I had diarrhea in the tub. And I, because this thing's like shooting out of my vagina, I was like, a baby? And I just like shouted that. I was like, a baby. And everyone turns around and looked at me and was like, no, you're not having a baby right now. Like you are having a baby, but that was not the baby. For sure, it's not going to feel like that. And they all kind of laughed at me. But I didn't know what the heck it could be, but it was just like this ball of water that shot out of me. The one thing I will say about the birth is I felt like as soon as I was fully dilated, it stopped hurting and the baby was moving down into the birth canal and that didn't hurt, but it was terrifying. I just had this like existential fear that I was going to die. The baby was going to die. Like it was just like this long existential fear. And also the doula hadn't gotten there yet just because we suddenly like went to the birth center and it was all of a sudden that I had to, you know, go into active labor and have this baby. So she only got there in like the last half hour. And um, so I didn't have my affirmations with me. We didn't have enough time to prepare. I was, I had like affirmation cards all written out in my bag and I was going to take them out and set them out. But I did not get to do any of that. I just had to have the baby right away. In any case, the one part with that happened is I started to feel like, you know, the baby's moving down in the birth canal and I felt like my abs were like floppy. And I said at one point, 
you know, I'm not strong enough. And they're all, you know, all the midwife and the doula and the nurse are all saying, oh, you are strong enough. You are strong enough. And, you know, it just was like my ab muscles didn't feel strong enough. And through the contractions, I had been moaning, you know, as you, as you do, I'd been making noise, which they say is good to do. But all of a sudden it occurred to me like a flash, like, oh, I can hold, not like kind of hold in my breath and like make what they call a Valsalva maneuver. So basically like when you're trying to, you know, have a bowel movement, for example, you sort of create this like internal pressure and you hold your breath. So rather than moaning or making noise, I held the breath in and pushed it down. And that was suddenly felt very effective. So then all of a sudden during contractions, I was like quiet. And then, you know, I started to have a few moments where I was really freaking out and really felt like I was losing it and felt like, oh my God, everyone must be thinking I'm like such a wimp. But then, you know, I would kind of relax and make myself relax in between and, you know, relax. At one point, the midwife, you know, took my hand and she was like, look, you could feel the baby's head. And to me, it felt like the baby was like way far inside my vagina. And I was like, oh my God, she's still so far away. Like I felt she should be out already. Um, So basically during that whole pushing phase, it was really intense, but I didn't have any pain during that time, which is kind of cool. It did not feel um, orgasmic or anything like that, which I was kind of hoping for, but nothing like that happened. Um, and then of course the ring of fire when you are tearing, yeah, that hurts. Um, I mean, there's nothing to be said about that. You can feel yourself ripping and that pretty is pretty uncomfortable, but it was only for a few seconds and then the baby was out. They did make me stand up at the end of the, um, birth and so that the baby, you know, just to make sure the cord was long enough. So I was standing in the tub and my husband helped me stand up because I don't think I could have done it on my own. Um, and then the baby was out and she was great. She was maybe a little bit gray at the time, but she, you know, got to it right away. And I have this adorable picture of her when she was like a second old and she just looks so terrified, like what the fuck is happening and just freaking out. And then we were able to get me over to a bed right away. We didn't stay in the tub at all, which I was totally happy with. It was a bit gross at that point anyway. And I started eating a date bar. So I had the RX bar with the dates in it. And I had read a study that said that when women were given dates, like right away after giving birth, that they bleed less. And so it was my plan to like eat a date bar immediately after giving birth. And so there's a video of me with the baby for the first like minute or two. And I was not like blissful. Basically, I I was totally anxious about the birth when we arrived and then, you know, we, we made it, we did it. And by the time the baby was out, I was honestly still kind of like anxious and confused. It had only been about an hour and 20 minutes from the time we arrived at the birth center to having this baby, which I was not expecting at all. And so it took me maybe like an hour to like chill out and relax and enjoy my baby and bond with her. But that's normal. Apparently, like it's not always that people feel this super bliss like the second they have the baby. You know, that is the dream, but that's not always the way it happened. And happily, luckily, my baby loves me so much that um, she just smiles whenever she sees me. Sometimes I'm the only one that can calm her down. I know from like a parenting perspective, that's not that great, but it makes me feel good about myself and feel good about our bond that I'm there for her. And that's, you know, I'm the person that she feels good about. Okay, we are running short on time. So I will just say that my mother craft for the week is mostly just trying to find some time to relax. I think I actually do need to take baths, which I know is super cliche for mama time. 
But yeah, taking a bath, especially if I've been working on my stressful creative project, does make me feel better and it just kind of resets my whole nervous system. I'm also reading Brene Brown's book, uh, Dare to Lead, which is on audiobook on Audible. And I kind of find it a bit cheesy, but I also really find it effective. So I'll listen to it when I need some inspiration. And when I'm walking with my baby and she's sleeping, sometimes I'll listen to these audiobooks and it really makes me feel you know, inspired to um, be a good leader and so to take on my project and and give it my all. Okay, and other stuff I like, I have this old book that I really love called The Way of All Women by M. Esther Harding, and it's from the Young Foundation books. So it's, um, it's an old psychology book about women, but it talks really sweetly about women uh, naturally becoming mothers and naturally giving birth. And so it's a book that I read a long time ago, and I just really like it and wanted to throw it into stuff I like. Okay, that's all the time we have for today on meaning and motherhood. If you have any questions for me or you want to comment at all, go ahead and send me a message on Instagram at meaninginmotherhood. If you liked this podcast, go ahead and give it a five-star rating and review. I'd love to hear your reviews as well. Thank you so much, and I will see you next week on the Meaning in Motherhood podcast.